From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. Put your candy in my bucket. It's Billoween. <laughs> I'm Bill Curtis. And here's your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, everybody. We have a very fine show for you today. We really do. We are very excited to be talking later on to best-selling author John Grisham later on. You know him for his books, uh, Time to Kill, The Firm, Rainmaker, The Lincoln Lawyer. We will ask him if it's a believable plot line for a judge to shout out, I like beer under oath <laughs> and end up on the Supreme Court. <laughs> we need your help to unravel the mysteries of this week's news, so give us a call. The number is one triple eight. Wait, wait, that's one eight 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 nine two four eight nine two four. Now let's welcome our first listener contestant. Hi, you are on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hey, this is Zach from Washington, D.C. Hey, Zach, how are you? What's going on in Washington? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot <laughs> myself. Don't answer that. <laughs> yeah, not much I'd like to talk yeah, about. Yeah, now, what, uh, do, do you work in the permanent government in the city? What do you do there? No, I work in the tech industry. I work for Uber, actually. Really? You actually yeah. found something more evil to do. I think that's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the show, Zach. Let me introduce you to our panel this week. First up, it's the comedian who'll be headlining at the Wilbur in Boston on Saturday, October 26th. It's Hari Kondabalu. <laughs> Next, yes, it's her, the syndicated advice columnist behind Ask Amy. It's Amy Dickinson. Hey. And finally, it's a correspondent for CBS Sunday Morning and host of the Henry Ford's Innovation Nation Saturdays on CBS. It's Mo Rocca. Hi, Zach. So, Zach, welcome to the show. You, of course, are going to play Who's Bill this time. Bill Curtis is once again going to perform for you three quotations from the week's news. Your job, as I'm sure you know, identify or explain. Two of them do that. You win the prize. Any voice from our show you might choose on your voicemail. Are you ready to play? All set. Here is your first quote. You know, here we go again with, you know, you're guilty until proven innocent. That was President Trump <laughs> defending what purely innocent country that is definitely guilty. <laughs> uh, that's Saudi Arabia. It is Saudi Arabia, yes. So, journalist Jamal Khashoggi disappeared in a Saudi consulate last week, and at first Saudi Arabia said, you know, he just left. And then they said, well, we don't really have any idea what happened to him. And then finally they said, okay, what if we told you he went to live on a farm upstate? <laughs> <laughs> so it became an international scandal, but fortunately, Detective Trump is on the case. God. He's just like Lieutenant Columbo. He's just about to leave, but he stops and he turns and he says, oh, uh, one more thing. You totally didn't do it, right? I thought so. You know, that poor 400-pound guy in New Jersey. I know. You know, you know he's going <laughs> he, to get again. the blame again. Trump well, says he believes the Saudis, who say they didn't do it, especially Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who's taken over that country, imprisoned his enemies, and now gone after dissidents. Isn't it weird Trump finally finds one Muslim he does not hate, and it's the worst Muslim in the world? <laughs> Trump compared the Saudis uh, to his other favorite totally innocent person, Brett Kavanaugh, which I'm sure I'm Justice sure Kavanaugh appreciated, yes. <laughs> there are similarities to the Kavanaugh case. If you think about it, the Saudis say they couldn't have done anything to Khashoggi because according to this calendar, they were lifting weights with Squee <laughs> and PJ. <laughs> oh, my God. That's disgusting. It just makes me want to boof. 
I think people are giving Saudi Arabia a pretty rough go at this, and I don't think it's completely. There's some positives in really? this. Really? What are they? Okay. <laughs> oh, don't, so they, they did a lot of terrible things. However, the getaway driver was a woman. Oh, she's right in that's Saudi true. Arabia. That that's true. Yeah. She's only had her license for like three weeks or something. That is progress. Probably. That is progress. <laughs> oh, wow. I did not know that. It that's well, I, I made it up. But. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. All right. Very good. Here is your next quote. She should have gone on the Mari show to reveal the results. That was a Washington Post commenter reacting to whose big DNA test revealed this week. Uh, that would be Elizabeth Warren. It would be Elizabeth Warren. Very good. Yes. <laughs> Senator Warren of Massachusetts, who the president likes to call Pocahontas, now poses a real problem for him in 2020 because with her as his potential opponent, he wouldn't be able to decide whether to be racist or sexist. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. So Trump once said that he'd pay her a million dollars if she could prove she has Native American ancestry, as she has claimed. So this week she took a DNA test and she revealed it and it proves she's between 164th and 1,024th <laughs> Native American. That's a tiny fraction. It means that instead of losing her ancestral lands, she just had to give up a parking spot. <laughs> Well, she's either Native American or uh, margin of Aero Rican. There you go. <laughs> I just wanted to say, my friend Carol is half Jewish, half Native American, and we say that she's from the High Hawaii tribe. <laughs> <laughs> I, what? No, but what was Elizabeth Warren thinking doing that? Well, here, oh, it's ridiculous. The, it was so, I mean, because my sister did the one of the DNA tests, and I think she, our family, we have as much Neanderthal. Right. Like, doesn't oh, how much everybody? Do you, how much Neanderthal do you have? Quite a bit. Quite a bit. <laughs> Quite a bit. I feel like if you want to prove that you're not completely white, the thing you shouldn't do <laughs> Show is do white the are. whitest thing possible, <laughs> right. which is take a DNA test to prove you're not white. <laughs> <laughs> I think this whole controversy is a lot of sitting bull. <laughs> oh my God. And I think that Elizabeth Warren has wounded more than her knee. <laughs> Those are terrible. The wor she, she should sue. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's a total crazy horse. <laughs> All right, here is your last quote. This is never going to be smoked. I'm gonna keep it forever. That was a man named Ian Power. One of the first people to legally buy what in Canada? Uh, marijuana. Yes, indeed. Cannabis, pot, grass, weed. So we've been making these Canadian cliche jokes for years, and they're all wrong. It's the coolest country in the world. When you think about it, they, they've been eating, they must have been stoned for all these years. They wear flannel, they're chill, and their national dish is French fries covered in garbage. So. Do you know if they're changing the leaf on the flag? <laughs> oh, great. That would be fun. But I love this on, the, on Wednesday when it became legal, the Globe and Mail newspaper published on the front page a, a an infographic of how to roll a joint. How cute is that? Did you know, this is amazing because it turns out that obviously in some countries or states pot is legal, but Canada is only the second country to make uh, pot legal countrywide after 
Uruguay. Wow. So the only two countries. So you know they're going to have to quit NATO and the G7 and just hang out with each other. <laughs> the only way you can talk to a stoned country is to be stoned yourself. <laughs> what kind of snacks do they have in Uruguay? I wonder. <laughs> None left. <laughs> Bill, how did Zach do on our quiz? Trifecta for Zach. He got them all right. Congratulations. Well done, Zach. Well, thank you. Right now, panel, it is time for you to answer some questions about this week's news. Mo, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has been holed up in London's Ecuadorian embassy for six years, but this week his hosts gave him an ultimatum saying they would kick him out if he didn't do what? Oh my gosh. if he didn't clean. If he exactly didn't clean. right. If he didn't clean up after himself. I, I know, that's just a guess. And you know why I guessed it? Because he looks exactly like the Dyson vacuum cleaner guy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where my head went. Wow. That's a very strange connection. Yeah. I just came back from Canada. I understand. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, Assange has overstayed his welcome. This week, the Ecuadorians released a memo saying they would kick him out if he didn't start first cleaning up after his cat. <gasps> oh, Apparently, the it. cat is also really into leaking. And, <laughs> and then please do something about the bathroom. The memo from the embassy comes shortly after Assange had his internet privileges revoked. <gasps> and the government warned him that basically he's on thin ice, saying if you continue to act in ways that are counter to the interests of Ecuador's government and its people, and don't you roll your eyes at me, young man. <laughs> Amy, there's a man-eating tiger on the loose in India. She has evaded capture for two years, but animal control has one last trick up their sleeve to lure her in. What is it? It's Calvin Klein's obsession. You're right, Amy. I know. I know. I know. Apparently, large cats of various kinds can may be drawn to Calvin Klein's obsession, and not just because of the sensual ad that's on the bus. <laughs> this particular tiger is blamed for killing more than a dozen people. The U.S. would help, but the tiger has denied the accusation very strongly. <laughs> it turns out that an element of obsession by Calvin Klein is this compound taken from animals called civets, and uh, mm. it, it has a scent that perfumers call, and I'm not kidding, fecal floral. <laughs> Oh, the notes, the floral notes. The fecal um, floral notes. <coughs> well, Calvin, yeah. One thing that bothered me was that um, they were tying goats and horses, and they were tying animals in various locations to try to lure this. And were, th- were they like spraying the <laughs> perfume with <laughs> yeah, a tied so. up? So the goat's like, well, I'm tied to the tree and I'm about to be eaten, but I feel pretty. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they just run them through uh, Macy's yeah, you know, no, ground floor. They can't afford it. So they have to take the <laughs> goat spritzes. to Macy's and get it spritzed <laughs> get by spritzed. a sample lady. <laughs> Is that the first time animal testing was used after the perfume came out? <laughs> <Apparently>. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> they have not caught it yet. Authorities are hopeful. If they can't lure it in with obsession, they'll go to their fallback plan of, of uh, luring this female tiger by having a male tiger who is an active listener and looks like John Hamm. <laughs> okay. Man, Hassan should get some of that uh, obsession. Make his room smell better. Cats happy. Mm-hmm. Ecuadorians are happy. Yeah, I know. <laughs>
Coming up, our panelists cry wolf and a false alarm bluff the listener game. Call one triple eight wait wait to play. We'll be back in a minute with more of Wait Wait Don't Tell Me from NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Simply Safe Home Security. Simply Safe is a self-installed wireless protection for your home. The company was founded by an electrical engineer whose friends were burglarized. They wanted home security, but most systems were too complicated and too expensive. So he built Simply Safe. Now they protect over 2 million people. And with Simply Safe, there are no annual contracts. Learn more about Simply Safe today at simplysafe.com/wait. This week on Ask Me Another, we've got comedian Nick Kroll. He tells us about how his own experiences inspired his animated series, Big Mouth. I got pants in seventh grade. What does that mean? Uh, that's right, you're Canadian. So that would be, uh, I was trouser removed. This and so much more on NPR's Hour of Puzzles, Word Games, and Trivia. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. We are playing this week with Mo Rocca, Amy Dickinson, and Hari Kondabolu. And here again is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Segal. Thank you, Bill. Thank you so much. Right now, it's time for the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Bluff the Listener game. Call one triple eight wait wait to play our game in the air. Hi, you are on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hi. Hi, who's uh, this? This is Leah. Leah, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Columbia University in New York. Oh, Columbia University up there in the north side of Manhattan. Are you from New York? Uh, no, I'm from the Bay Area in California. Oh, really? And how did, how, did you, uh, how did you enjoy transitioning to life in the big city of Manhattan? It was really fun. I really liked it here. Oh, really? Yeah, there's so much to do. It's great. Are you sure you're from the Bay Area? Because no one is ever supposed to, from the Bay Area, ever to praise any place else. Yeah, that's what everyone tells me. (laughs) Well, welcome to the show, Leah. You're going to play the game in which you must try to tell truth from fiction. Bill, what is Leah's topic? 911. I think you wanted 311. Don't worry. Things are not as bad as it seems. It's a sentence that only applies to this week's Bluff the Listener story. Our panelists are going to tell you about a false alarm we heard about in the news. Pick the one who's telling the truth and you'll win our prize, the voice of the wait waiter of your choice, on your voicemail. You ready to play? Yeah. All right. Let's hear first from Hardy Kandabulu. Mark Shortlift and Jillian Canavan were returning home to their Brooklyn brownstone from a lovely honeymoon in the Bahamas when their worst fears were realized. Their home security alarm was blasting, and police officers were standing in front of their building. One officer on the scene told them, I've never seen anything like this. But upon further investigation, it wasn't a robbery at all. Sometime over the weekend, Mark's dog Tom escaped from a neighbor who was watching him and returned home through the doggy door, setting off the alarm's motion sensors. But Tom wasn't alone. He brought the neighbor's dog and cat along with three other dogs. (laughs) The place was left in shambles. Muddy paw prints, shredded sofa cushions, and animal waste was everywhere. Most shockingly, a wine bottle had been knocked over and the animals licked its contents clean off the floor. This would explain the cat passed out in its own vomit on the stairs. And there was also no water left in any of the toilet bowls. (laughs) Clearly a desperate attempt to get sober. (laughs) When police initially entered, Tom was in the living room having relations with the neighbor's dog. In what Officer Toby Crittenden described as, quote, 
in a style that doggies are accustomed to. <laughs> Mark suspects Tom was heartbroken over the marriage of his longtime owner and perhaps wanted to, quote, go on a bender. Both owner and dog are now in pet therapy, a booming industry in their neighborhood of Park Slope, Brooklyn. <laughs> An alarm in Park Slope. Turns out just to be a corgi orgy. <laughs> Your next story of an unemergency comes from Amy Dickinson. Emily Mason is a structural engineer getting her PhD at Cornell University. In between projects, she indulges her hobby, surfing through the dozens of Instagram accounts devoted to her favorite building, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Tourist pictures fall into a few different categories. There's, oh, it's so tiny, I can squeeze it between my fingers. <laughs> or the inevitable, oh no, this tower belongs in my trousers. <laughs> so, so many tourists were taking selfies with the tower in the background that the city of Pisa installed a wooden selfie platform 200 yards away. But starting about six months ago, the American engineer noticed something odd. In dozens of selfies posted over the course of several weeks, the tower appeared to be straightening itself ever so slowly. She analyzed the photos and estimated that at this rate, in only five years, this tourist landmark would have to be renamed the not very interesting tower in some Italian town. <laughs> After publishing her findings in a paper called Lean On, a famous tower finally goes straight Officials in Pisa officially freaked out. An international team of experts armed with lasers and ladders closed the tower down while they investigated this mystery. A Belgian engineer finally figured out what was happening. Woodchucks had burrowed under the wooden selfie platform and it was starting to lean at an angle opposite of the towers. They said, falso alarme. <laughs> The American engineer has been forced to apologize. The Leaning Tower of Pisa, thankfully, still leaning. No worries there. Your last story of nothing being wrong comes from Mo Rocca. On a recent Wednesday in the British Midlands city of Birmingham, an ordinary citizen passed by the downtown branch of NatWest Bank and noticed employees cowering beneath their desks. Naturally, the passerby alerted the police and officers were on the scene in minutes, only to learn that the employees weren't under siege. They were playing hide-and-seek as a team-building exercise. <laughs> the bank was embarrassed, the police simply laughed, and life returned to normal. A funny incident that for one brief moment made people forget that in 30 years, Earth will be uninhabitable. <laughs> <laughs> On that charming note, here are your choices. From Hari Kondabolu, the story of some vacationers from Brooklyn who thought their house had been ransacked when it turns out it was only a bunch of dogs having fun and one drunk cat. <laughs> From Amy Dickinson, the authorities in Pisa, Italy, becoming concerned that their famous leaning tower would no longer lean. It turns out it was just the place where they were taking photographs from. 
And finally, from Mo Rocca, a story of a bank robbery that wasn't, it was just the employees playing hide and seek. Which of these is the real story of an emergency that wasn't in this week's news? Ooh, um, I like the Leaning Tower of Pisa story, but I feel like the bank story is true. You feel like the bank story is true, so you're going to choose Mo's story of the bank employees playing hide and seek. Yeah. All right, that's your choice. We spoke to someone familiar with the real story. And I'm sure hide and seek was fun as a kid, but in the bank, in front of the public, it just didn't seem like the smartest idea. That was David Goldstein. He's the founder of Team Building, one of the largest corporate team building companies in the country, talking about the reasons not to use hide and seek as a team building (laughs) exercise, especially in a bank, especially during business hours. Congratulations, Leah. You got it right. Thank You're in the point Leah. for Mo. And, Thank of course, you, you have won our prize. The voice of anyone you may choose. Thank you. Thank you. And now the game where people who have done impressive things do something that will probably impress no one. It's called Not My Job. So John Grisham was just your typical small-town lawyer slaving away when he decided to try his hand at something he dreamed of, writing a novel. He wrote a novel about race and murder in a small town called A Time to Kill, and it totally flopped. (laughs) Then his second novel, The Firm, became an international bestseller, and he became one of the most popular authors in the world. And so now he's harder to relate to. John Grisham, welcome to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. So, uh, well, happy to be there here, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll eventually make you happy, or we'll fail. But is that story true? I had read that, that you, your first novel was A Time to Kill, which ultimately became successful and was made into a film, but it didn't sell, right? No, it came out in 1989, and it was published by a small, unknown publishing company in New York. They printed 5,000 hardback copies, and we couldn't give them away. I bought 1,000 copies and couldn't give them away, so it was a total disaster. Really? How did you ever get the gumption to try again? Well, it was a hobby. It was not a job. I told my wife I was going to write one more book, and if the second book didn't work, it fly, if it flopped too, I was going to forget this little secret hobby and just go, you know, sue people all the time. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so the second book turned out to be The Firm, and that changed everything. It sure did. Uh, did you, like, sit down and think to yourself, okay, the first one didn't do well, so what do I need to do to write a, a book that will? Did you actually calculate how you needed to up your game on that? A little bit. I mean, I had the idea, and uh, it, it be, the, the idea became better, and, and my wife really liked it. And so I said, okay, I'm going to be some, a little more commercial, uh, a little more you know, popular, uh, forget all the race stuff and conflict and murder, and try to write something that's more accessible. And it was a naked grab for money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a good chi- that's a good title, naked, naked grab for money. <laughs> What's amazing to me is how, I don't know how best to put this, but how how relaxed you seem. I've read that you you have a schedule where you start writing a book in, what is it, the middle of the summer, middle of August? Yeah. You finish by Christmas, and then you take the rest of the year off? That was the old schedule. Uh, The new schedule is uh, I start a book every year on January the 1st and finish July the 1st. The goal is July the 1st. And so I give myself six months, and, uh, you know, it's it's easy to to write during the wintertime when things are slow and all that. I mean, I have no real job, you know. This is not a real job. (laughs) I have plenty plenty of time to write. I haven't worked 40 hours a week in like 30 years, okay, so it's not a real job. You've got great titles. So your books have good titles. Are there any titles that uh, that you rejected that 
do you look back on and think, I can't believe I ever considered that? Like, what are some of the rejected titles? Gone with the Wind, uh, <laughs> To Kill a Mockingbird, <laughs> In Cold Blood. Every year when I start a book, I think, okay, I want a great title. I want something like To Kill a Mockingbird or The Grapes of Wrath or Sophie's, you know, some great title, and I just can't find them, so I stick with the something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I read that you are really big into Little League baseball. I understand you have six Little League fields on your property? Seven. Seven. Oh. Wow. So, yeah. and, 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 and who plays on these fields? We have about 400 kids every year from our neighborhood, from this, this part of the county. And we have 35 teams, and we have seven fields, and we have, uh, we have tons of baseball, t-ball, softball Fun. every year. I'm, I'm, the, uh, I'm the commissioner because I own the damn place, and yeah. I make all the <laughs> I paid for it, and I make all the rules. It's, it's a wonderful place, and we have kids now who play in our ballpark for 10 straight years, and they grow up here. So it's, it's That's a, awesome. It's, do, you, yeah. do, you ever, do you ever throw your weight around as commissioner? Do you ban kids for like... You know, when you have a dictator as a commissioner, people have to behave. <laughs> I know. <laughs> hey, John, I understand uh, your wife plays a big role in your writing. She plays a big role. She has to approve each story before I start writing it, which wow. can lead to some really testy moments around the house <laughs> when I have a brilliant idea for a novel and she thinks it's, uh, it's not going to work. I, I get about 30 seconds to pitch an idea to her for a novel, which is really uh, the way you should write. If you can't pitch the thing in 30, minute, uh, 30 seconds, and convince your listener that it's a good story, you're probably in trouble. We read somewhere that one of the things that your wife did for your writings, at least early on, was to nix the sex scenes. Well, she reads a lot of books, and a lot of books uh, of her books ha have some sex. I'm not sure how much, because I don't read those books, but she's always said that men cannot write sex. And so uh, 10 or so years ago, I wrote, the, I wrote a sex scene in one of my legal thrillers, and um, she reads it chapter by chapter, and so I, I gave her the, the chapter to read with the sex scene, and I heard her laughing upstairs. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Ouch. 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 Oh. You can, men cannot write sex scenes. I, I, I haven't done that. I tried one time, and she laughed at me. Well, John Grisham, it is a pleasure to talk to you. We have invited you here today to play a game we're calling... The Comfy Cotton Brief. Comfy Cotton Brief. Yes, you write about legal briefs, so we're going to ask you oh, about okay. men's briefs. Okay. Answer two out of three questions about underwear. You'll win our prize for one of our listeners. Bill, who is author John Grisham playing for? Courtney Bond of St. Louis, Missouri. Here's a first question, John. In olden times, men's underwear was extremely valuable and prized by the wealthy and powerful. How do we know this? A, King Henry II of England had a royal supplier of unmentionables. B, King Tot was buried with 145 pairs in his tomb. Or C, Peter the Great of Russia invaded the Crimea just to capture a particular tailor who made underwear. Wow. I mean, are you, I'll you go with C. You're going to go with C. Actually, it was actually B, King Tut was no. buried with 145 royal loincloths. Because, you, you know, if you're going into the underworld, you want to need support. <laughs> Next question. According to a 1933 issue of the trade journal Menswear, a man's underwear should be what? A, quote, should be like a Fort Knox for the bits. <laughs> B, quote, should have the grace of Apollo, the romance of Byron, the distinction of Lord Chesterfield, and the ease, coolness, and comfort 
of Mahatma Gandhi. <laughs> or C, quote, should let a man know that whether he stagger, falter, or fail, at least he will not wiggle. Those are great. Oh. Wow, I mean, I'm supposed to respond to this? You uh, are, yes. <laughs> so, uh, Peter, I can ask for help? You can do whatever the hell you okay, want. Okay, Mo, which one do you want? I want, I want C. Okay, Mo. go for C. Go. I pick C. No, it was B. What? You're kidding! Oh! No, I can't be responsible for this. I'm afraid you are. Uh, I'm so sorry, John Grisham. I still am. I'm sorry. It's not your fault. It's Mo's fault. We have one uh, more for you. GQ magazine. Which wait a minute. Time out. What, what are we playing for here? You're, you're playing for if, if you were to somehow win. <laughs> Our only prize, which is the voice of any of us that the listener might want on their voicemail. That's it? (laughs) 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 Oh, man. Yes. That's all it is. I was thinking like Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune with cars and cash. No, no, no. no, no. (laughs) This is public radio. Voicemail? Voicemail. Okay, give me the last one. GQ magazine, an authority on men's fashion, of course, urges you not, not to wear one kind of underwear. Which is it? A, briefs with pictures of animal faces on the front. B, tighty whities because, quote, they remind every woman of their dorky little brother. Or C, anything that costs over 20 bucks because by the time anybody else sees it, they've already made up their minds about you. I don't like B or C. Let's go with A. You're right. Yes. We we did it. Apparently, <laughs> it is obvious you should not wear the underwear with the big tiger face right there in the front, but GQ apparently felt they needed to let their readers know, do not do that. All right. How did John Bisham do in our quiz? The defendant has been found guilty. <laughs> <laughs> With one right out of three. John, you're still a winner. Hey, Courtney in St. Louis, I'm really sorry about this. Um, Look, I'm going to send you an autographed copy of my next book, (gasps) which is not that big of a prize, but it sure beats what these guys are giving out. (laughs) (laughs) Counselor, you win that argument. I also happen to know that John Grisham's new novel, The Reckoning, is fantastic. It's available in stores on October 23rd. John Grisham, thank you so much for all the books thank you, as you're joining us on Let's Make Thank pleasure. you, sir. My, a lot of fun. Thank you, guys. <laughs> in just a minute, Bill gets weepy in the Listener Limerick Challenge. Call one wait wait to join us on the air. We'll be back in a minute with more of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. Support for NPR and the following message comes from Rockstar Games. From the creators of Grand Theft Auto V comes Red Dead Redemption 2, an epic story of honor and loyalty set in the dying days of America's outlaw era and told across the deepest and most expansive Rockstar world to date. Also, very accurate horses. Releasing for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One on October 26th, Red Dead Redemption 2 is available for pre-order today at rockstargames.com slash reddeadredemption2. Rated M for Mature. I'm Linda Holmes. There's more stuff to watch these days than you can ever get to. That's why we make Pop Culture Happy Hour. Twice a week, we give you the lowdown on what's worth your time and what's not. Find Pop Culture Happy Hour on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. We're playing this week with Maraka, Hari Kondabolu, and Amy Dickinson. And here again is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. In just a minute, Bill's got rheumatoid arthritis. <laughs> That's our listener limerick challenge. If you'd like to play, give us a call at one triple eight. Wait, wait. That's one eight 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 nine two four eight nine two four. Right now, panel, some more questions for you from the week's news. Hari, a historic statue of a Revolutionary War general down in Savannah, Georgia, has been vandalized in an incident that city officials are calling "quote no laughing matter." What did those vandals do to that statue? Um, did did they remove his hat? They did not remove his hat. Well, they added something. They 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 uh, put a, a red nose on him. No. Did they uh, did they put uh, glasses on him? No. But you're getting closer. Close. Oh, what's uh, the better to googly see you, my darling? Oh, they put googly eyes. They put on googly on. eyes on the statue. That's they glued a, him right on. That's a and good if, clue. And if you think the authorities look surprised, you should see the statue. <laughs> the googly eyes were stuck on a statue of Revolutionary War General Nathaniel Green making him look less determined to bring freedom to the colonies and more awooga. <laughs> Wait a second, they desecrated a US general, they desecrated a general and they went after a revolutionary war general? Yeah, I know, you'd think. In Savannah. Uh, you, there are so many better targets, but they went for this guy, apparently, yeah. Uh, in the Vandal's defense, some historians think the new look may accurately represent the look on General Green's face <laughs> when he said, there's going to be a hip hop musical about whom? <laughs> If you want to see the image of the statue with the googly eyes, Google googly-eyed statue on Google.com. <laughs> Amy, there, yeah. Amy, police in California are investigating claims that a high school student brought in cookies for her class that may have been laced with what? Her Grampy's ashes. Yes, indeed. Oh. <laughs> Although... We heard it was her grandma, but at this point, how can you tell? Um, according to reports, the student brought in a tray of cookies that had been baked with both love and also her grandma's ashes, and she fed them to at least 10 other kids in the class. It's terrible. It could have been worse. She could have made the cookies with raisins. <laughs> well, it was, it was her grandmother recipe. Exactly. <laughs> Isn't that what they mean by that? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. She literally pulled a senior prank. She did? <laughs> wow, yeah. Her classmates should have suspected something was amiss when she served the cookies out of an urn. <laughs> hmm. Do we ever find out what her motivation was? No, it's an absolute mystery. We don't know why she did it, whether she did it on purpose, but the school assures us that everybody's health is fine. There's just a bunch of children who will never eat cookies. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, people used to always ask me what was in my grandmother's ravioli, and <laughs> now we know. Now we know. <laughs> Coming up, it's lightning fell in the blank. But first, it's the game where you have to listen for the rhyme. If you'd like to play on air, call or leave a message. At one triple eight, wait, wait. That's one eight 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 nine two four eight nine two four, or click the contact us link on our website, waitwait.npr.org. There you can find out about attending our shows here at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago and our big twentieth anniversary extravaganza this Thursday at the Chicago Theater. Hi, you are on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hello. Hi, who's this? This is Stephanie from Denver, Colorado. Hey, how are things in Denver? 
Uh, they're good. They're pretty warm this week. Well, okay. Well, what do you do there in Denver? I am a zookeeper. You're a zookeeper. What? Jesus. That is exciting. Do you have a, like? Are you in, in, in charge of any particular animal or, or exhibit? Uh, I mostly take care of the bears. Oh no! Oh my God! What kind of bears? That's a real job. We. I am jettisoning our entire segment, and we are now going to talk to you for ten minutes about, about bears. bears. <laughs> what? What bears in particular? Uh, do you have a particular species of bears? We have grizzly bears and polar bears here at the Denver. Whoa, I have heard that grizzly bears and polar bears are the two most dangerous kinds of bears. That they will eat you up. <laughs> yeah, we try to keep people out of the exhibit. Right. <laughs> do the bears, do grizzly bears and polar bears like each other? I think the more important question, though, is do they like you? <laughs> they do. My really? grizzly bears can actually smell me out of a crowd. <gasps> really? Mm. Yep. So when, Obsession. When, when, exactly. So <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, Stephanie, welcome to the show. <laughs> Bill Curtis is going to read you three news-related limericks with a last word or phrase missing from each of them, Stephanie. If you can fill in that last word or phrase correctly, and two of the limericks will be a winner. You ready to play? I'm ready. All right, here's your first limerick. We all know that the boss is a jerk, and that underground feelings will lurk. Give in to that urge. Let some teardrops emerge. It's okay to be crying at work. Work. Yes, that is right. A recent study found that 75% of CFOs think that crying at work once in a while shouldn't carry a stigma. In fact, it's completely normal, especially if you're completely useless at your job, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> or if a bear bites you. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm a stand-up comic. I tried that once. Not no. Lose yeah. <laughs> confidence very quickly. The argument is crying is not a shameful thing. It's a human emotion. It happens to all of us sometimes. You know, like when the vending machine is out of Diet Coke. So it should not be seen as a negative unless you're doing it every single day. That's a problem. Or if your job is like an entertainer at children's birthday parties. <laughs> or something else where you need to appear cool, right? I mean, you never want to hear greetings from the flight deck. <gasps> Those of you on the left side. <laughs> Hey, I have a question. Steph, do bears ever cry? <laughs> they don't cry. <laughs> no. Do they ever get sad? Do we ever have sad bears? Um, we once changed out the bedding for one of our bears, and she got really upset with us. <laughs> oh, do, okay. Do what doves ever do? cry? <laughs> <laughs> Here, Stephanie, is your next limerick. In Taken 2, I've seen him greasen. With apples, <laughs> our bonds will be increasing. Lead stallion on set. How could I forget my work with my pal? I, I'm sorry, I totally missed it. Could you do it one more oh, time? Oh, yes, he can. <laughs> In Taken 2, I've seen him greasing. With apples, our bonds be increasing. Lead stallion on set. How could I forget my work with my pal? I need a hint, guys. Yeah, imagine an, an actor, uh, imagine um, a bear with a Scottish accent. Liam Neeson? Liam yes, Neeson! Yes, yes, yes. Actor and Schindler, Liam Neeson, <laughs> claims a horse on the set of his new movie recognized him from filming a previous Western years before. Either that, or the horse was just being polite. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, yeah, right. Oh yeah, you wrote me years ago, yeah, yeah, of course. Probably the connection was instant. The horse got excited and whinnied when the actor arrived on set and Neeson remembered him too, saying, you never forget a horse face. <laughs> what? 
people were doubtful, but other actors backed up Neeson's claims. This is true. Russell Crowe chimed in on Twitter. He said he worked with a horse named George on the movie Gladiator. And then he worked with him again on Robin Hood. The horse recognized them, and they are, quote, lifelong friends. Asked for comment, George said, more like colleagues. (laughs) Here is your last limerick, Steph. Our new iOS, we finagle. Because of emails sent in by P. Sagal. With all of his pleas, we were feeling the squeeze. So we added cream cheese to our... Bagel? Yes, yes, yes indeed, and a strong showing of what people can accomplish when they work together for change. Apple finally put cream cheese on the bagel emoji. Before this week, the bagel emoji was a smooth, plain bagel with no toppings, and users were horrified at what was essentially just a slice of white bread with a hole punched through it. (laughs) Tim Cook himself apologized, saying, yes, of course, people want the circle bread with the white paste on it. I, too, insert regular human food into my face port. (laughs) This is a big win, big win for the community of people that want their emojis to be literal representations of the thing. Next, they'll add relish to the hot dog and more veins to the eggplant. Bill, how did Steph do in our quiz? With three right, Stephanie's our queen for a day. Congratulations, Stephanie. Stephanie, thank you so much for playing. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. Capital One wants to build a better bank, one that feels and acts nothing like a typical bank, so they're reimagining banking. They offer a great savings rate and accounts with no fees or minimums that can be opened from anywhere in five minutes. That's banking reimagined. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Capital One, N-A. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message comes from Walmart Grocery Pickup. With Walmart Grocery Pickup, you don't even have to get out of your car. Order your groceries online and let them do the shopping and loading for you. Get fresh groceries and save time. Visit walmart.com slash grocery today and get $10 off your first order with trial code DON'T WAIT. There are more ways to Walmart. First order only, $50 minimum. Expires January 31st, 2019. My birthday. Now on to our final game, lightning fill-in-the-blank. Each of our players will have 60 seconds in which to answer as many fill-in-the-blank questions as he or she can. Each correct answer now worth two points. Bill, can you give us the scores? I can. Amy has two. Hari and Mo each have three. Oh! Okay, Amy, you are in third place. You're going to be up first. The clock will start when I begin your first question. Fill in the blank. On Wednesday, Don McGahn officially stepped down as blank. White House counsel. Right. According to financial reports, since July, social media site blank lost 30% of its value. Um, Facebook. Right. This week, the Prime Minister of Australia said he was considering recognizing blank as Israel's capital. Jerusalem. Right. On Monday, Paul Allen, one of the founders of blank, passed away at the age of 65. Microsoft. Right. According to a new study, over half of the births in the U.S. occur outside of blank. A hospital. A kind of marriage. On Wednesday, the blank jackpot reached $900 million. The blotto lottery. (laughs) It's called Mega Millions. This week, a staff meeting at a bank in China was interrupted by blank. A bear, a wolverine, or a team-building exercise (laughs) of hide-and-seek. No, it was interrupted by a five-foot-long python falling from the ceiling and landing on an employee. 
After falling from the ceiling, the snake slithers between the employee's legs for a while, then made its escape. Anyone who wants to see the whole thing can check out the security camera footage that was uploaded online, unless they're one of the staff members who were there who can see the whole thing just by closing their eyes and trying to fall asleep. <laughs> Bill, how did Amy do in our quiz? Four right, eight more points, total of ten. She's in the lead. All right, we have flipped a coin. Mo has elected to go last, so hurry, fill in the blank. On Monday, President Trump toured the areas of Florida and Georgia that were ravaged by blank. Hurricane Michael. Right. For the first time in 25 years, blank went an entire weekend without a single shooting. Uh, Chicago. No, actually New York City. This week, Senator Ted Cruz and his Democratic challenger blank held the final debate in San Antonio. Beto O'Rourke. Yes. On Sunday, a gubernatorial candidate in blank accused her rival of suppressing the minority vote. Georgia. Right. This week, Nebraska's tourism board announced they were changing the state's slogan from Nebraska nice to blank. Um, all the corn you can eat. No, they changed it to <laughs> Nebraska. They changed it to Nebraska. Honestly, it's not for everyone. <laughs> Whoa. On Wednesday, streaming service Blank showed bigger than expected growth, adding 7 million users in 2018. Spotify. No, Netflix. Hundreds of people received calls from an animal hospital in Hawaii thanks to a Blank. Uh, Beachwell. A tiny gecko stepping on a no. phone's touchscreen. No! According to the hospital's director, she was worried there was some kind of emergency when she got nine calls in a row from her work number with just silence on the other end. The calls were actually being made by a gecko whose tiny little feet were dialing up everyone on the phone's recently called list. While some people complained, most were actually really thankful for the gecko's call, which helped them save 15% or more on their phone. <laughs> How did Harry do in our quiz? Uh, three right, six more points, total to nine. He's in second place. And Mo needs four to win. All right, Mo. Okay. You ready? Here we go. This is for the game. On Monday, the Treasury Department released a report showing that the blank had grown to its highest amount in six years. The deficit. Right. On Tuesday, President Trump threatened to end aid to blank unless they stopped a migrant caravan from reaching the U.S. It's Honduras. Right. This week, it was reported that Special Counsel Blank would release a report in the Russia investigation after the midterms. Robert Mueller. Right. During his interview with 60 Minutes, Trump suggested that Defense Secretary Blank may soon leave his post. Mattis. Yes. <laughs> you all right, Mo? You no, it's just, it, I, I, audio is a very intimate medium. <laughs> a campaign manager in Nevada thinks his candidate still has a chance of winning a place on the House legislature, even though he's blank. Dead. Yes. <laughs> 22 states have confirmed cases of a new paralyzing disease that mimics the effects of blank in children. Well, it's something very sad. Yes. <laughs> Um, it's the effects of, um, of rickets. No, polio. <laughs> On Sunday, the British royal family announced that Blank was pregnant with her first child. Meghan Markle. Yes, this week a police officer in India was praised for his bravery after his gun jammed while chasing a robbery suspect, and he managed to apprehend him by blanking. He was running after, a, 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 he was an officer. Yes. He was running after someone that he needed to apprehend. He did. And he apprehended him, but he was praised. Because, remember, his gun jammed, and yet he, nonetheless, he was able to bring the, the villain to heel and apprehend him. I bet by going bang, bang. That's exactly oh what, oh my God. <laughs> no. What? He made that? gun noises with his mouth. Oh, my God. Chasing the guy, the guy, dangerous criminal, 18 warrants out for him. He cornered him, but his gun had jammed, so he just pointed the gun and went bang, bang, bang! And the guy cowered and ducked and he was arrested. Oh, the suspect God. says he's embarrassed by the whole thing and really should have known something was up when the officer seemed not to only have a pistol, but also a laser gun, a grenade launcher, and a lightsaber. <laughs> 
Bill, did Mo do well enough to win? It's Mo. It's Mo. Congratulations. Thank you very much. So close to perfect, too. Very close. Thank you very much. In just a minute, we're going to ask our panelists to predict who will be the next public figure to take a DNA test and what will they find. Special thanks this week to Baba Pita for feeding us so deliciously. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions. Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord. Philip Godica writes our limericks. Our public address announcer is Paul Friedman. Our house manager is Tyler Green, assisted by Simon Tran and Mary D'Olio. Our interns are Catherine Coates and Zoe Lowenberg. Our web guru is Beth Novi. BJ Lederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Dornboss, and Lillian King. BJ Lederman's saxophone cleaner is Peter Gwynn. Technical direction is from Lorna White. Our business and ops manager is Colin Miller. Our production coordinator is Robert Newhouse. Our senior producer is Ian Chillog. The executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is Michael Danforth. Now, panel, who will be the next person to take a DNA test and what will they find? Hari Kondabulu. West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin will find out he's two-thirds chicken, which explains his vote in the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. Amy Dickinson. Well, the Kardashian family decided to do it together as a family, and they got their DNA analyzed, and the results came back, and it turns out they really are made of money. (laughs) And Morocco. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell will find out that he is half Yertle and half Teenage Mutant Ninja. (laughs) Well, if any of that happens, panel, we'll ask you about it on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you, Bill Curtis. Thanks also to Hardy Kundabulu, Amy Dickinson, and Mo Rocca. Thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Peter Sagal. We'll see you next week from the Chicago Theater. This is NPR.